Welcome to Threshold Stories, crossing thresholds one story at a time. I'm your host, Jeff Gora. In this episode, we discuss this wonderful athletic path that God intervened and it became something totally unexpected. You are not at the fitness you should have, and you're not even the person who you should be, but you don't have anybody whom you can trust to help you get there. What you're saying is you need a coach, and I might be your coach. I provide both instruction and explanation to help you reach your goals to overcome mediocrity, and I'll give you feedback along the way like any other coach. Most important thing I do, though, is get you ready for a big event. You pick the event, and I will help you get ready for it. I'm not a fit for everybody, but the only way to find out is to have a first interview. Go to our website, thresholdacademy.com, and select Contact Us, and let's schedule the first interview. See if I can help you go beyond your threshold. Scott, welcome to Threshold Stories. Well, good morning, Jeff. Thank you for being here. I, this is a great opportunity. I think it is. You have a uh, story that gets buried, among other things in life, due to the layers of things that, that, that we all go through. Um, your layers are really unique, though. Is that because right? Because you started and had this wonderful athletic path okay. that God intervened. Yep. And you intervened. Yep. And it became something totally unexpected. And I want to take... Several minutes right at the start of this to kind of go through that because okay. I feel like there's most of the viewer base has probably heard of the South Carolina Gamecocks and they know how successful they are. Okay. That there's this old man who was at one time the name starting quarterback that lives in our area. It's probably something <laughs> most people don't know about. Many people probably don't care about. That said, SEC football is very, very important, even though I know it wasn't necessarily the SEC back then. You know, there's today in the SEC, there's a total of 16 people, I believe, who are um, considered to be starting quarterbacks per year. And out of a population of something like 60 million in this part of the world, that means there are not many folks like you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you took the number of people and struck by lightning and said, I want 2% of those, that would be the total number of people in this world who you could say, if I took all the lightning strikers and hit and picked just 2%, of them, those are the number of people who are starting SEC Quarterback. So wow. you're in a, you know that was that lean, that when you, small when, number. When you say it like that, Jeff, that's, a, that's, a, uh, that's important. I guess. So go back to the beginning, beginning here. So when um, you were playing in middle school, yep. right, what years were they? We'll just talk back so, through that. So um, I'm 64 years old, and I graduated from high school in 73 to kind of put perspective on that. So all right. So, so this was back in the, I guess, late 60s. So uh, you were you? I'm assuming you were balling back then. Oh yeah, but I started playing football when I was 11. So I was born in '55. So it was now it's '66 uh, when I started playing little little tight. Mm-hmm. Call it. And what a great town I grew up in. I grew up in a little town that. Uh, what what time was that? Uh, Mooresville. Uh, well, now it's not so. No, it's not. It, it's a different town now for sure. Uh, it's become. I mean, did they even have the interstate then? No, they did not. Uh, that happened when I went to college, as a matter of fact, and made my trip to Columbia a lot quicker mm-hmm. <laughs> to home. So uh, from that very beginning, when I was 11, and now they start kids playing a lot earlier than that. And mm-hmm. I think that's a mistake, to tell you the truth. But uh, uh, started then and just loved the game. I never... Uh, even so when you said you love the game, yeah. I'm assuming you didn't really know what you were playing. You just played wherever you the coach puts you. Yeah, and it just happened to be quarterback. It just that's just what happened. Did you feel that there was anything special back then? Nope, did, did not. Were there other kids on the team who um, tried to play that role? I, I didn't perceive that. I never, I never up through my mm-hmm. freshman year in college, I never thought anybody was uh, after. My job, right? I thought I was the only one. There was second string, third string, and mm-hmm. type, uh, but I never felt threatened or or that that there was even a chance that I wouldn't mm-hmm. be the starting quarterback of, of a particular team. And it started in uh, in that little. Uh, we had four teams in Mooresville, and they mm-hmm. were the businesses around Mooresville, and uh, just everybody loved it. Everybody would come out and and see it and knew what was happening. So, there. when were your games? So they were on Saturday. Uh, afternoons, right? Early, you know, like one o'clock or something like that. And so then, you weren't competing with the big games. That's right. On TV. That's right. Generally, yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, and back then, the big games weren't as big as they are now. I'll All right. tell you, the sport has changed significantly. Mm-hmm. I, I think, and maybe it's just from my perspective, but um, the sport has changed in from being a local kind of thing to now it's a national. Now you follow Alabama and people in. Southern California, follow Clemson. Well, my son, who's part of the Panthers, he is traveling to London. Oh, there you go. 
Very cool. It, that world has evolved it, for him. Indeed. Yeah. So the game has changed in a lot of ways, and that's one of them. Is it's more of a global mm -hmm. uh, thing now than it was. I think then it was more uh, local, and, mm -hmm. and uh, mm -hmm. certainly felt like it in a small town anyway. That uh, so everybody knew it. In more, you know, in the deep south, sports has almost always been considered that thing, which most naturally bridged. The racial gap. Okay. Right. Sure. Oh, boy, we had yeah. the mandates. I mean, Charlotte is the home of Brown versus Board of Education, right? Right. So, did you get to participate in that bridging of the racial gap, or was it alive and well where you were? At? I was right in the middle of that. And uh, now, again, it was a small town. It wasn't a Washington D.C. or or Atlanta or something like right. that. Uh, and we never thought about it as being a controversial thing. But yes, there was there was a. Uh, a black school and there was a white school as far as elementary mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden we all were thrown into the same uh, middle school and, and that was in the mid-60s and exactly when that happened and I thought it not unusual to walk down the street with my arm around uh, a black friend of mine that I played ball with mm -hmm. that was just so common to me uh, but I can remember a story when I was uh, in middle school mm -hmm. and there was a little boy, his name was Leonard, and we grew up together and, and went through high school together, and he, he was a good friend of mine. Mm -hmm. And um, one day, and I lived within walking distance of the elementary school. It was Parkview Elementary School. And one day I said, Leonard, won't you come home with me? And so he did. And, and boy, what a, you know, we didn't ask our parents, we didn't ask anybody, but uh, here comes Leonard and I walking home from elementary school. And we had we were arm in arm just uh, walking down the street like kids are. And I can remember uh, uh, people coming out on their porch and seeing us and looking in horror at this little white boy and this little black boy walking down the street arm in arm. You crossed the you crossed the culture. I did. Line there. It did. Yeah. And and walked up to my mom, uh, to our driveway and my mom came out and saw it and she just started laughing and welcomed us in and gave us cookies and milk and. And then called his mother and said, you know, he's What's over going here. on. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, so, yeah, I, I grew up in, in that, the in midst that, of all that. Right. And then when I got to junior high school is when that uh, busing case became a big controversy in the world and, and in the United States. And we were right in the middle of it. And uh, mm -hmm. it, was, uh, it was interesting. And there was, uh, there was some um, contention between blacks and whites you think oh gosh yeah and but you know that the football team equaled the playing field and we were all right teammates rather than being uh, a controversy so you're on board with that conclusion that you know sports has bridged that racial gap perhaps more than any tool in the deep south no doubt certainly with yeah. me certainly with me all the way through my life I, that has been the grounding effect that uh, awesome. know, we're, we're all equal and and I, I shoot, I can remember in college uh, going to a uh, after a game, going to a bar, and this girl um, was talking to this young lady, and and uh, she we introduced ourselves, and I said I'm Scott Curtis, and she said, well, wait a minute, Scott Curtis is a quarterback for the Gamecocks. I said, yeah, that, that's me. She said, no, 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 you're black. I, you're a, I've seen you play. And you're a black guy. I said, "Well, not really." So, you should have played with that. I said, "I used to be." So, uh, I was born that way. I thought that was funny, and I took that actually as a pretty big compliment. It is, I'd say so. When people inadvertently are color are color agnostic, that means success. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and shoot, truth, truth is, in a skilled position. Black people are usually better than white people. And isn't that what's showing up? Yeah. Isn't that that's crazy? That's what we're finding, or at yeah. least they're given that chance to show it, and they and they're rocking with it. And it goes back to, you know, when we were dispersed at the Tower of Babel, and there were some people that went to Africa and they got dark skin. Well, they had to run. Uh, As we were talking before the show yeah, started, that's they, right. They had to run seventy miles a day, and their their hamstrings elongated, and so they were faster and they were quicker and they they were stronger in that way. And that's that's what that's the consequences of mm -hmm. all that. So pretty cool stuff. Yeah. So when did you think? When did you first get a sniff that you might be elite? Well, um, that word "elite" is a big word. It's okay. only got five letters, but it does have three vowels. <laughs> well, that makes it big. <laughs> that, that's a big word to me, and uh, so I never really. And, I didn't get my elite. I didn't get any sense that I was athletically elite until much later in life. I had yep. hints when I was younger, but injury, you know, took that opportunity from me. My parents protecting okay. me. Yep. 
Well, you didn't have you had a, you were in the limelight sports as far as our culture is concerned. Indeed, and certainly in a small town uh, in mm-hmm. high school and junior high that was was there. And but I never I I don't think I ever thought of myself as being elite. Mm-hmm. Okay, I, I'm telling you, I love the game of football. I, I'm not a fan so much as I just am a. I love the game of football, and uh, just like to play the game. Mm-hmm. And, and every I mean, when I was growing up, um, I had a best friend. His name is Chris, and he was uh, he was a quarterback in that little league as well. He played quarterback for the for the mill team, and I played the quarterback for the construction team. It was J.V. Barger, and he was Morrisville Mills. You know, that was the sponsors of our team. Really cool stuff. And, and we had the Isn't name. that amazing how the amateur things with us are what we remember the most? <laughs> exactly. Right. And Yeah, in, indeed. And so uh, Chris was the quarterback for that team. We played each other, and I don't even know who was the best. But uh, when we got to, to become um, junior high, with ninth grade, mm-hmm. there was a – junior high football team, and it was kind of the junior varsity to the high school team. Yep. And you couldn't cross over that barrier. Nobody went from the ninth grade up to varsity. It just didn't happen back then. And so I can remember one summer day, uh, and we would just get – we would love to just play, hold the football and play with it, and it was just what we did. It was not like something, oh, we're going to get better at this sport or we, we've got these goals of – Like being, the modern kid perceives the Xbox controller. Exactly. Exactly. It was just, this is what I'd rather do this than, than swim today. I'd rather go out and throw the football. It was just what we like right. to do. So we'd get on opposite sides of the street and run for miles and just throw the ball back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's just how much we love the game. Well, one day we go, we running up to the high school to, to just play some and we got on the field and it was like in June, July of the summer that we were getting ready to start the mm-hmm. junior high school to, in the ninth grade. And we looked at each other and we said, you know what, we both can't be quarterbacks. And it was just a realization that we were shocked with. And so hmm. uh, I said, Chris, what, what do you want to do? One of us has to be the receiver and one of us has to be the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And he, he said, well, let's flip for it. And so we, he brought out a, a nickel, lifted up, and I won. <laughs> so I became the quarterback and he became the receiver. And it was that way through high school. No kidding. No kidding. And I would Whatever I'm, became of him when well, high school was over. He he became an architect and an extremely good architect. He he was he and I had different uh, uh, mental abilities for sure. And he was a detailed smart guy and he could think things through and see things that I just couldn't see. So he became an architect. Well, you're not a dumb blob. Well, <laughs> uh, perhaps. Keep going on the Chris story. So but Chris became an architect, he, and you went on to He, he went to UNCC, and, and, and they had a really good architecture school, and I went to Columbia to play football. That's what I was majoring in, believe you know. Right, right. I, it just so happened I was in school, and it turned out that I did, get make, I did become serious about that eventually. But um, – he was there to become an architect, and I was there to play football. And we communicated a lot during that time, and we'd go back, and, boy, our lives changed completely. He, he went to a, more of a social thing, and I was focused on what I was doing. And mm-hmm. um, he, he became a really good architect, and he built million-dollar, multimillion-dollar houses out on Lake Norman, uh, and he would swing the hammer. He'd be out there in the field building the house with his crews, and he'd be the architect. Like the Frank house. Lloyd Wright did. That's exactly right. He and he, he made a good living, but he was never, like, multi, mega rich because of what he did. Uh, and that's the indication of a successful architect is that you're not that rich. <laughs> <laughs> that's a fascinating <laughs> conclusion at the end of that. So let's go back to you in, the, uh, in football in high school. Yep. So you, you flipped a coin and won the job, yep. independent of what any coach was saying in the moment. Exactly. Right? And, um, no other influence. Yeah. All of a sudden, you find yourself being recruited. So obviously, you did well in high school, right? Well, um, yes, I, I suppose so. So I had a, 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 I had great coaches and great parents, and, mm-hmm. and uh, they nurtured me without, you know, pushing me. You know, right. they they prepared me for what I wanted to do, kind of thing. And um, the um, my, my high school coach was this big. Big guy. He was a lineman. He was a lineman coach. He had no idea how to coach quarterback or a receiver for that matter. And um, there were a couple of assistant coaches, but they were teachers that just became coaches. This guy was a real coach and and loved us and we loved him. He was just a great relationship. Well, he went to Houston uh, to the their spring camp 
in their uh, coach's clinic, and he found out about this new offense called the Veer or the triple option. And he watched it, and he said, this, this is going to be good. We're, we're gonna, I'm going to bring that back to Mooresville, and I'm going to do that. So, mm-hmm. And this was the year I came up to be a sophomore, sophomore. So give us a year. Can you stick a year on this? Okay, what do you mean by that? Like what year did this happen? Okay, this was 70, or 69, 70. Yeah. So the Veer makes it to Mooresville, yep. 69 or 70. And it was brand new. Nobody knew how to defend it. Nobody knew how to really run it at that point. But um, he would – and it was such a beautiful offense, and it was – Man, it was God's will for me because I was set up to be a Veer quarterback. Really? In what in what sense? Well, so I was pretty quick. Uh, I could run a uh, I could run a good forty. Um, you know, back then I was probably even in high school I was probably around four six. When I got to college and somebody was coaching me how to run, I could, I got down to uh, four five. Uh, fairly common, but one time holy wide receivers, Batman. Yeah, I was I was pretty quick. So um, the um, and that's what it takes to run the veer. And I wasn't overly tall, so I wasn't lanky. And uh, and uh, I could throw the ball adequately. I wasn't... So for super- people listening, veer means you're under the center, yep. right? under the center. And you're surrounded by players that are relatively close, right? As opposed to multiple flankers on each side of the ball. Well, um, usually there was two backs, a twin backfield. Mm-hmm. Uh, so two guys right behind you. Yep. There was two receivers uh, and a tight end. Is general. So let's say it was a it was a split right. So you'd have a flanker split out about twelve yards and a receiver out of, on the line of scrimmage about 15, 18 yards, and then you'd have a tight end on the opposite side, uh, and he was either a blocker or a receiver, depending on the play. Mm-hmm. So and the, the the concept of the veer for the for the audience that doesn't know this, and a lot of people do, it was a complete read offense. So you wouldn't block everybody. You would, uh, and the pure veer would start, and you wouldn't block the defensive guard or the defensive tackle or the defensive tackle and the defensive end, however they were, if it was a 5-3 or a 4-3. So, um, so the ball gets snapped, ball gets and you, snapped. Don't, you just worry about, you read whatever's in front of you That's and make right. a decision there as opposed to doing what the coach told you to. That's right, and it was, it was just a process. And you'd look at that tackle, and you'd put the ball in the pocket of the fullback, and if the tackle took – it sounds real simple, but the tackle took – the defensive tackle took the, um, the, the the fullback, then I'd pull it and run down to the – and go over to the defensive end. And there was – the other halfback was swinging around, of course, and I would read the end, and if he'd take me, I'd pitch it back to him, and if he would take – he'd kind of split out a little bit, and I thought I could cut it up into that little gap, and then I'd cut it up and get however many yards. And that – so from when the ball finally hits your hands, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're going to make one of three choices. How long between when you got it and you had to make those three choices? Uh, you know, second and a half. Yeah. Right. Very quick. But here's the thing. Uh, Funny it's how hard it is for people to commit just to going out to dinner. <laughs> well, let me let you know. I mean, Todd, we can't, figure, we can't do that. You got three people. You got to decide whether or not they're going to get potentially smashed, and you get a second and a half to decide. Well, and then you throw in maybe the pass option mm-hmm. where you're reading. As you're doing this, you're reading the cornerback or the rover or whatever you want to call it, that guy, and, and you kind of glance up at him, and if he's back far enough – then the receiver is going to cut across, and you you pull it up and you throw it across to him, and he's got the ball about ten yards deep, and they'll tell him what's going to happen then. So you even throw that in there. So so for perspective's sake, how many plays per game would you run? Where the, where be veer right or veer left? I never really kept up with that. Like in the NFL, it's something like eighty. Right, eighty. I'm I'm saying we would get because uh, it was a pretty quick offense, and and but it was mostly running. I'd throw the ball in high school and in college, really. Uh, 10 to 15 times a game, mm-hmm. whereas now they throw it 30 times a game, mm-hmm. uh, generally. So uh, it was a running offense, so it means, meant the game went quickly because the time the clock never stopped, or hardly ever stopped. So I don't think it was 60, 80 plays. It was probably more like 50 plays, uh, between 40 and 50 plays a game. So 50 times in, in a two-and-a-half-hour window, you yep. would make decisions that were required to be made in a second-and-a-half or yeah. so. So how do you do that? that? That's a great point because you, you hear about you know, this elite status and you hear about uh, the game slowing down for the player. And I'm telling you. You're if, reading my mind. That's where I am going with if, this. If, if it did not, if the game doesn't slow down, you can't do it. It's just, 
impossible to think that quickly. So what my coach did in high school was, that was brilliant was he, he would spend, I'm sure, a third or, or maybe even a half of our practice where it would just be me and the two backs, and there'd be some trainers with dummies at the positions we would read, and he got an old uh, fire hose, okay? And he painted the holes so, so that he could let the linemen go do what they're doing uh, while we practice this. And I'm sure 80 times, 100 times a day of practice, we would go through those, and there was only two or three plays and some variations off of those. And we would go through those over and over and over again. And just it, so it would become uh, just, just so common for me to – understand and it wasn't like I was saying if he steps in I'm going to take it if he stays still I'm going to pull it it was just a common natural occurrence and mm-hmm. um, so when I started going down the line and it was all about not getting too deep because uh, that's the kiss of death for, for an option quarterback is to get too deep because um, then you lose all your leverage so if you're on the line and your line blocks out so that you can stay on the line of scrimmage and have no penetration then it just became a rote memory thing and that's what he that was the gift he gave me and that is the reason I received a college scholarship was because he did that over and over again so that I could just do it without wow. even thinking and the, and it slowed down I can I, it, it would slow down so much that I could just have fun with it and, mm-hmm. and I can remember one time in high school we were playing this uh, team and the, the game was really kind of over we, you know it was we were up two or three touchdowns and mm-hmm. and I we were just having fun at that point, and we did this uh, we did that fear play and and the the, uh, the defensive uh, tackle took the fullback so I pulled it and was going out on the defensive end. Well, he was so confused that he was just standing there and he was looking at the halfback, but he was standing there flat footed. So I reached up with the ball and hit him on the helmet and then ran around him. And he was he turned a whole looking at the film he turned a whole circle around watching me run around him with a ball, not knowing what to do. That, that's how quick it was, but it wasn't for us because we, we knew what we were doing because we practiced it so much and we knew what the expectation of the play was. So if I'm looking at film <clears throat> and I see you doing that, I'm thinking confidence. Well, there you go. And I hope it did. You know, I think about it and I regret. I didn't mean to make the guy look bad, but it, but it probably did. And it probably humiliated him to some degree. Um, and that probably <laughs> not the right thing to do. But we were just having fun. And sure. And, and uh, it, was, it was, yeah, just confidence. And, and, uh, so you fast forward <clears throat> this and you're somewhere as junior, senior year, mm-hmm. and your recruiting process started. So people hear of this all the time today, and I know it's evolved. I went through it with my oldest son when he was going through the recruiting process. But right. talk us through that. So you're a senior, and, and, how, and, the, and then at the end of this process, you're going to South Carolina for free. Yep. What happened in between? So it started my junior year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the, during that season, recruiters started coming to watch me play, and um, I was just flabbergasted by that. Kind of like you asking me to do this interview, I was like, "Boy, what are they? What are they coming here to look at?" <laughs> I had uh, just didn't. Think Obviously, of it. it's your shirt. So. It must have been, yeah. But uh, um, you know, they were coming, and, and coach would talk to me. Uh, said, "I got a letter from NC State or Appalachian or or uh, Alabama." You know, Alabama was recruiting me for a time, and and. Uh, they're coming, they're in town, and they're going to come see the game on Friday. And I tried not to even think about that and just play the game. And and that's where I always defaulted, just enjoy the game and, and have fun with it. And that's that was my motivation. So um, you ask how the recruiting was. Well, I'd get letters from uh, most ACC schools and some SEC schools. And um, Would you get to meet these people? Well, I'd say I got – 20 letters uh, from schools. Yeah. And if I responded back to them or, or told the coach, yeah, let's, let's pursue this a little bit, then, yeah, I would talk to them. We'd start by a, a phone Did you call. keep the letters? Yeah, uh, well, I've got probably 15 of them. I was looking, we kept our oldest son's letters. Okay. We asked him if he wanted them. He said no, which in my mind means not yet. That's <laughs> a mistake. That's exactly right. He'll want them. I just don't he, know when. He, you're exactly right. He will because I was out maybe, I don't know, three, four, five years ago and, and was – cleaning out the garage and saw this box and looked in it and saw some old game films and 
about 10 or 15 of those letters, and I was like, wow, this is pretty neat. And I said, oh, look at this. <laughs> and then your wife slapped you and said, hurry up, we got to go. <laughs> That's right. Or take out the garbage or something. Right. So you got these letters, and your coach, would you'd say yay or nay to your coach, mm-hmm. and then your, would your coach orchestrate the meeting? Um, yes. Or would he just give this he, guy permission to go after you? He would. That's exactly what would happen. And then he would call and talk to my mom and dad, uh, and, and mm-hmm. then we'd set it up. And so he said, set it up. What would that, what does that mean? Back then, what did that mean? Well, your house, you go out to dinner. They generally, it was me come to them. Now, a couple of them came up and talked to us or maybe met me and the uh, mother and daddy after uh, a game or something. Mm -hmm. And and they just shake hands and say, Hey, we're interested in, here's what it looks like. If you're interested in us, uh, we'd like to invite you down to a a football game and uh, enjoy you know, the weekend in wherever town it was. On their dime. On their dime, right. Exactly. And it was, uh, I mean, it's, I'm sure it's... It's very regulated now. I'm very regulated. It wasn't very regulated but, back then. But it was, you know, they, they put technology into it. Now I can remember, um, shoot, it was, it was South Carolina, and, and I can remember uh, going there during basketball season and yeah. meeting the coaching staff, and uh, Paul Dietzel was the head coach at that point, <laughs> and meeting him, I, I had a... Uh, and, and, and this makes me think that I chose South Carolina because I really wanted to go there. But I drew the guy that covered North Carolina, and he was an incredible guy. He was named, his name was Pride Rattery, and he was the offensive line coach. Go figure. What's up with you and offensive I don't line know. coaches? That's right. And he was my recruiter, okay? And he was a crusty old guy. He, could, he, he didn't care. He didn't care what he – he had no filter, kind of like you – he had no filter to what he said. He'd just say what he believed. And uh, he was no salesman, and he was no um, slick recruiter. He would, and my parents loved him and thought he was, and he was a Christian, and he'd let that be known in the beginning. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, that fell in line with our values. And, and uh, so uh, I can remember going down on basketball season, and – the uh, at halftime, these two cheerleaders came over and grabbed me by the arm. They were, I was like, Holy smoke, these beautiful girls! Mm-hmm. And I mean, wait, I'm not in Mooresville anymore, kind of thing. <laughs> and grabbed me by the arm and took me out and introduced me to the crowd at halftime. And uh, it was just unbelievable to me, sure. I had no, I mean, it was one of the Williams Bryce Stadium, perhaps wasn't <clears throat> big back then, it was uh, about 60,000. Then, but this was the basketball arena then. So all there right, was there right. was twenty three thousand people there. So, but it seemed like because it, it's so close. And in high school, you're used to playing in front of what? How two, many? Two thousand at, right. at the most. Uh, so at a zero at the end. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then by the time I graduated, we were up to seventy, eighty thousand. That's right. Uh, at, at Williams Bryce now, it's probably well, that's, that's about ninety thousand now. But um, that was a that was just and it would that would happen at other schools too. I um, NC State. Uh, Appalachian, uh, I, I spoke. I never went to the campus of Alabama, but I talked to the coaches, and I kind of ruled them out. And this is just silly because I would you know, give my right arm now to go have played for uh, Paul Bryant, uh, mm-hmm. play football. And uh, I've got a little uh, – You know, at least you got your right arm, though. I do, exactly, left arm. I don't think I can get my right arm. Uh, so um, I've got a little uh, note that says from the desk of Paul Bryant and his, in his handwriting it says uh, uh, or what you have concluded is his handwriting well that's true but it you know it, it, I'm going with it it's his I'm, I'm going with it let's too. go with that and I'm not going to change that in my mind <laughs> but it says hope to see you at Bama coach Bryant and uh, that, that that was neat but it wasn't that big a deal now I, t- I've t- I told an Alabama fan one time that I had that and they they said gosh that's worth millions of dollars and I'm hmm. like that's crazy that's, uh, and I'm not even sure I can put my hand on it right now, but but I remember getting that. Mm. <clears throat> but it was just too far for me to go. I had a, uh, you know, I wanted to be close to my hometown and my parents, and and uh, so I chose schools uh, around where we were. I had the, the three. That's the history of the regional nature of the game. That, okay, very good. Right, I agree. Good. And so that's what I chose. And and uh, it it wasn't my goal at that point, or my expectation for myself was not to. Play professional football. I didn't. I didn't. Again, I, I didn't really think of myself as being elite enough to do that. I, I, I just loved the game, and all I wanted to do was extend my time to do it <laughs> and right. play and play through college at that point. 
And my goal was to, uh, to be the starter of a major college. That was mm-hmm. what I wanted to do. I didn't want to really play for. So getting a free college was pretty secondary? Way secondary. Or ter- tertiary. I'll, quaternary. Exactly. I don't I, even know what's after that one. But. I'll, I'll tell you a story about that. That's just embarrassing uh, to me. And uh, when I went to, it was South Carolina again. I went down there to, on a recruiting, and it was the second recruiting weekend that I went to. I think mm-hmm. this was during football season. And they had asked me what uh, what I wanted to major in, and I had no idea that I, I ended up majoring in business administration, and I'm glad I did, and got a really good education. But uh, at that point, I said, engineering maybe. And so uh, they said, okay. So when we got down there, um, it was my, my mother and father and uh, myself, and they set up a meeting with the dean of engineering, the dean of engineering, and here I am, some not news 18 year old coming in there to meet with this dean of engineering and i think i fell asleep during our interview uh, it was so just not important to me and i think back now i wish i could i, I don't know if the guy's still alive or not i wish you i could send get, him i'm sorry no <laughs> i would i know i'd drive down there and say look i'm so sorry i didn't take that seriously that was such a big deal that he made. might if he's still alive he'd fall asleep on you during the apology <laughs> and That's he should the difference right there <laughs> That's right. but um uh, and I didn't like start snoring or anything, but I, I think I nodded off. It just wasn't important to me. I right. wanted to play football, and that was mm-hmm. and that was a mistake, a huge mistake. And uh, but so you know, so, you, so you you went through your the process. You know, our yes. son. You going to give you an anecdotal while we're at it. Our son had a um a pa- a pile of letters, Ash, and most of them were form letters. You know, okay. they were the phone calls too, but most of them were form letters. And um, yeah. he had a come up with a metric about who he was interested in, who he wasn't, because he was getting. You know, Cal Berkeley and Illinois and okay. stuff like that. And he decided that if they don't, if you out order tea and they don't know what sweet tea is, that they're off the list. Okay. So Penn State went immediately <laughs> to the zero possibility. I see. hundred percent. Okay. Well, that's a pretty good metric. I, I, I never did that. You know, in, in his, to his bed, had he picked, gone down the Penn State path, he would have been there yeah. in the Paterno that's right. Catastrophe. And all that. Yeah. And that would have been awful for his experience. Sure. Instead, he went to a school and he had the same head coach for four years, which is you know, rare Unusual. nowadays. It is. It, it didn't happen for me. So, so what I did, Jeff, was uh, I, I'm sure I had metrics, but I, there wasn't anything written down or even mm-hmm. considered. But I, I, I guess the metric was somewhere within a four or five hour driving yep. space. So... Um, and it turned out that I and, – and I looked at the offenses too. The, the offense, I needed – I wanted a team that ran the veer because that's what I was comfortable with and or ran the triple option. And it could have been Georgia Tech that ran the wishbone version of that. That would have been fine. And I, and I looked at Georgia Tech pretty seriously. And Wake Forest was doing that. And uh, Just for listeners' sake, there, there was no such thing as a spread offense back no, then. Well, there was a pro-style offense is what they called it back then where – the quarterback was 6-3, and he would drop back, and, and uh, sometimes there were two tight ends to protect him, and there were two or three receivers you know, r- running deep routes and, and, and medium routes and short routes. But he would drop back a five-step drop back and throw the ball you know, mm-hmm. uh, 80% of the time. That was a pro-style offense. And, and then there were some hybrids, and then there was the veer, and, and that was the three type of offenses, in, in my opinion, in that era. Mm-hmm. So um, – I was looking at a school that ran that offense because I knew that was my best shot at starting. So I, you, lim- you limited the list by geographic distance and, uh, and, an and school type. So yes. you had it down to what, two or three at that point? I, I down to three, and they were Appalachian and NC State and South Carolina. And was, you already you started smiling when you said <laughs> NC State because you know where I'm going to go with that. I know. It. You're, you're, you're a big <laughs> NC State fan. I, uh, <laughs> Listener base, that's not true, but <laughs> – so um, um, I, I went to visit uh, All of them, right? Appalachian. I went to, uh, to Boone, North Carolina, and unfortunately, the, the, it was in December. Oh, that was easy. And it was easy. It was cold. We walked out, and they had AstroTurf, and the AstroTurf was frozen. And I said, there's no way I'm going to endure this. So then now it became a deal of two uh, schools, and, you know, that's a decision that, I have no idea how that happened, what God had planned, all that. But at NC State, and I was very serious about that, and they recruited me just as as heavily as South Carolina did. 
And guess who was the coach at NC State then? Mm-hmm. Lou Holtz. And I met him, and, and, and he was just rising. He, he hadn't been to Notre Dame yet. He um, certainly hadn't been in the pros, or, or, or then he came back to South Carolina later on. But um, he was, you know, one of the rising stars, but I didn't know that at that point. And uh, well, what a thrill it would have been to have been coached under Lou Holtz. It was, that would have been something pretty special. But they had this uh, quarterback and receiver that were twins, and they were the Bucky brothers, if any of uh, your listeners are NC State fans from back in the late uh, – other mid-'70s and such. And they were really good. And uh, I think they were on Sports Illustrated, and, and mm-hmm. you know, they were the elite you're talking about in my mind. So uh, I, I, I looked at that, and that was probably the decision. And they were just one year ahead of me. Um, Suter rode the bench a lot. So I, I said, you know, I don't want to wait till I'm a senior to play. That was my – looking forward thought and so I chose South Carolina that was a big part of the decision but I did like South Carolina I liked them pretty much equal now having said nice, that cool August days yep and my brother Maybe went not. to NC State I don't know if I've ever told you that but my brother was uh, he was four years ahead of me and he was an NC State grad and I had gone up to spend weekends with him. right so that influences your decision yeah too. So, so and and he would have been just overwhelmingly thrilled had I chosen NC State because mm-hmm. you know, he could say his little brother was playing quarterback for forever at school yeah He'd still be able to say that exactly so um but it didn't happen so I went to South Carolina and it turns out there was a guy down there that really uh was undiscovered at that point a guy named Jeff Grants who was better than this Bucky guy and wow what a good quarterback he was and he was uh so and he was a year ahead of me as well so I played behind him uh you know, my career there. So let's fast forward a little bit to your career. So you get to South Carolina, the process starts. So you go through camp and you meet everybody and the pecking order starts getting formed. Yeah. And um, go through the events that occurred that all of a sudden got you this title of starting quarterback. Wow. That's a long story and one that um, I wish I had been mature enough to wait for. Okay. Because mm-hmm. uh, you, you think, so when I showed up and it's, it's not like it is now, I think, in that they bring uh, their teams down pretty much all summer long. It's a, it's a year-round process. At that time, they would write us letters and say, here's how we want you to show up. This is what you need to run the mile in. This is what you need to run the 40 in. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you need to get in shape, and you need to show up on August the 15th and be in this shape. And it was on us to do it. So, uh, And that's what we did. That's what I did. And so I show up on August 15th, 1973 in Columbia, South Carolina. And I can remember I was so nervous and my parents dropped me off and my, my sweet mother's, uh, I mean, I was just nervous and I was like already homesick. You think? Oh gosh. And, and homesick and oh my gosh. So where did they drop you off? Was your practice, your first practice no, ever in the stadium or in? Well, it was, but they dropped me off at the, what they called the roost. It was an athletic sure. dorm and um, she saw me and she saw how nervous and I was almost to the point of tears uh, Then when they were getting ready to leave and she looked at me and she grabbed me by the shoulder she said Scott this is what you've always wanted to do you mm-hmm. go out there and you do it with the best of your mm-hmm. ability and, and it, that's calmed me down because she, she, I said you know as a coach I have that right. I have to have that conversation yeah. often and frequently because the temptation is for the fear to convince you in the moment that's right that you're inadequate that's right, and it That's, and it had, and and then I look, I, I go to the first meeting, and guess how many freshman quarterback there were quarterbacks there mm. were seven. <laughs> I was one of seven freshman quarterbacks. Now I look at them, and they're all big studs, and and we go out to throw the ball, and they could all throw the ball, you know, at least as good as I could, maybe better, and and uh, they were to me they were eight feet tall, and uh, you know, eight feet tall, lean, yeah, lean, and could run a. Uh, you know, a, a nine work a slide rule simultaneous <laughs> with reading the minus. And, and knew the offense and, and, all, and all. So, and and uh, so that was intimidating, and and uh, that just increased my resolve. My expectation of myself was to be a starter someday, and that mm-hmm. was for a major college. This was a major college, and I said, well, "That's just what's going to happen." So, um, we started practicing, and that seven went to five and then went to four and then three and then just two and there were only two of us left as quarterbacks after about three weeks and uh, the rest of them had become 
defensive backs or receivers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And that's – I didn't realize that then, but that's the way they recruit because generally on a high school football team, the quarterback's the best athlete. So mm-hmm. that's who colleges recruit for skilled positions. And, and, uh, and I don't know why they didn't tell me – you need to be a receiver, or you need to. Maybe I couldn't catch. I don't know, but uh, but they kept me a quarterback. Never stuck with you as quarterback. That's right. So um, I did that, and there was one other guy, and he and I became friends. Not close. He was a lot different from me. He was kind of a. He was, he was a nice guy then. He's a good good guy, he, but uh, he was he had a different lifestyle than I did. But sure. we, but we spent so much time together in meetings that we either became friends or it was very uncomfortable all the time. So the three of us, uh, Jeff Grants and. This guy and myself, mm-hmm. his name is Ron Basp. Uh, we, you know, became friends to some degree. We didn't socialize together so much because they had different lifestyles. I was a real uh, kind of a nerdy guy. I never drank uh, to that point. I never, I hadn't even had a beer in my life yet. at that point. Uh, yet. And, I, and I, you know, I loosened that up after a while, but uh, I was sacrificing to the God of football. It's the reason why I did that. I wasn't doing it because of any moral reason or anything mm-hmm. else like that. I was doing it because I thought it would make me a better athlete mm-hmm. uh, to not uh, pollute my body like that. Sure. So, um, and that was when marijuana was starting to come on board and all this. And, and uh, so th- they lived a different lifestyle, uh, not overtly. It didn't affect them hardly at all. And they were both very, very good at what they did. And Jeff was extraordinarily good. I thought that um, I thought that I was I could throw the ball better than Jeff, I, the, the starting quarterback. Mm-hmm. And I thought I know I was faster. Uh, I was one of the top three or four on the team as far as my forty time. And uh, but he was a better quarterback, and that's such a life lesson. There, um, it's not the it's the sum of the parts that not the the little metrics that you mm-hmm. have. Right. And he, he was so – and I never uh, never felt bad about that. I never felt, um, you know, bitter about him starting and me not because uh, he was just better than I was. Mm-hmm. And, and he could – I was just amazed when I'd see him run the offense and how, how the game slowed down for him, uh, even right. more for me. And it was pretty sweet. And so we went along, and uh, my freshman year, uh, I uh, there was a junior varsity team back then. I don't even think they have that now. But there was a uh, – and, and I got to play quarterback for that team uh, maybe three or four games. The, the schedule was very limited. Uh, I can remember Clemson, and I remember going up to uh, Virginia Tech to play in, in the fall. It was such a beautiful trip. And we drove a bus up there. We didn't fly. We drove a bus to Virginia Tech. So what a great trip. And, and, um, and during that time as an early freshman, I was on the scout squad. Okay, do you know what that is? We tell everybody what it is. So a scout squad is integral to a any team, whether it's a professional team or a high school or college. A scout squad is, is the team that runs the other team's offense or defense during practice. So we had to learn – if we were playing Houston, then we had to learn the Houston offense. If we, if we, if we were playing Virginia Tech, then we had to learn what they were doing. And I was the quarterback, and I wore his number for that team. And, I, and that was hell. I'm telling you, that was, that was an awful experience because we were uh, – You were getting sacked by your friends. Oh, incredible. Yeah. And, and, and it made you a lower class for sure because mm-hmm. you're not on the travel team. You're not on the varsity team. You're on the scout squad. And they called that the bohunk, so they called that the meat squad. You know, all kind of derogatory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was. It was a nasty place to be because the coach – well, first of all, you were under the defensive – coordinator the defensive coach mm-hmm. and at South Carolina at that point he was this guy was a bad guy he was just a mean hateful <laughs> and he did not put up with any crap at all and he could I mean it, there would be uh, situations where one of us one of the scout squad team would get hurt and he'd be on the field and he would get so angry because he was slowing down uh, the practice mm-hmm. and he'd say some expl- uh, some cuss words and say get that guy off the field and he wouldn't care about, you know, that he just maybe twisted his knee or broke his ankle or whatever. Mm-hmm. He'd say, get that piece of meat off the field. i got to practice to run here. And uh, so we went through that. And after about three or four weeks my freshman year, they moved me up to uh, varsity. And I was like, praise God, because it was like going from earth to heaven. I'm telling you, it was a whole different atmosphere of being coached and being mm-hmm. – uh, and I learned more in that last six, eight weeks of, of being on varsity than I had my whole 
career before that as far as how to be a quarterback and how to run that offense and such. I'd pretty much been sure, you go. Just, just, just playing with it myself. But I uh, had a great uh, offensive back coach and quarterback coach and such a brilliant man. He taught me so much, and, and uh, it was a process, and that's what I liked. So um, then now I'm on the varsity, and I'm traveling, and the first time I'd ever been on an airplane was to fly to Atlanta to play Georgia Tech. And I can remember that vividly, that uh, uh, wow, what an experience. And then – I remember the first game at, in Columbia where I really might have had a chance to play. Uh, we were playing Appalachian State, and going over to the uh, to the stadium, we'd ride a bus. It was a five-minute trip from the roost to the stadium. And I can remember being so nervous because I had a chance to play. I probably wouldn't have started, but I, was, I might have been put in because we should have played them pretty uh, – we should have beaten them pretty quickly. And um, – so I was real nervous, and I can remember getting on that bus and just nervous as I could be. And a senior named Jay, uh, gosh, I can't think of his last name. His name was Jay, and he was he was a married guy, so he he was one of the mature guys, okay? And, and he was a senior, and he was a running back. And so I played with him some. I got to know him a little bit. He came over and he sat with me because he could see that I was about to wet my pants. And uh, he pointed me to the moon. It was a full moon that night. I never will forget. This is when we were driving over. I think the game was – 8 o'clock game or something like that. And I remember to this day when I look at the moon, he, he got me to concentrate. He, he had me concentrate on the moon. And he said, do you ever see the bunny in the moon? And I went, what are you talking about? And he, and he showed it to me. And sure enough, there's a there's kind of the craters and all on the moon. You can see a rabbit. You can see his little ears and his little body. And so to this day, when I look up at a full moon, I think about that trip. And going over there, now, I didn't play that. The night. impact football has on yeah. us. So what a what a <laughs> the deal! The bunny in the moon. Yeah, the bunny in the moon. I think about that every That's time. That's a poem I see. waiting to be written. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> okay. of. And it'd be a nice poem. Yeah. So so go through that event that says, "All right, Scott Curtis, you're going out." Okay. So um, this was sophomore year. It's about the third or fourth game in the season, and Jeff Grants mm-hmm. uh, in the game before hurt his hamstring, and they tried to recuperate him. Saturday night, they must have figured out that he's not going to be able to play next week. So I got a call on Sunday afternoon to go down to meet with Coach Dietzel. And um, went to his office, and it was a spectacular place. I'd been in a couple of times, but just a real intimidated, intimidating place. Mm-hmm. And sat down in front of his desk, and he said, Scott, I'm, I'm going to start you. Jeff's not going to be able to play. You're going to be our starting quarterback this week, so woo-hoo. get ready. <laughs> oh, my, my whole being you just starts sweating. Oh, I was just lit up. It, it was such an um, exciting thing. It was one of, the, one of the most exciting times of my entire life to that point. You think? Oh, yeah. That, that, that realization of. It, it was like your dream was about to come true. That's right. And it wasn't about the, wow, I'm going to get uh, notoriety or I'm going to, uh, you know, people are going to. Well, it validated your school choice. Well, it validated it, your yep. choice not to do the other behaviors of other people in your exactly. life. Exactly, precisely. So, so now what a what a day! And I walked, drove back up to the roost and told my roommate, uh, who by the way, my roommate was a guy from Marion, South Carolina, and he played. He he, he was a walk on, and he 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 was on the scout squad his entire four years. And I had so much respect for him. I had more respect for him than I did a lot of the elite players that you talk about. Uh, because man, he, he got up and he got his lunch pail and he worked every day. He was the football equivalent of a janitor. Exactly, exactly. And, but he would get up and he would work. He was a great athlete. And he would work and he would do his best to portray the the cornerback. Uh, he played cornerback. The dark side. That's right. <laughs> and he would, he would do it well. And he got paid by – he got a free education and he became an engineer. And, um, you ever stay in touch with him? Uh, well, he moved to Hawaii, and so I, not really. So not really. Yeah, he, it's, uh, he went dark a few years ago. Uh, so um, don't understand that, but you know, whatever. Uh, great guy, though. And I'm sure it'd be a great reunion if I, if I saw him right now. But uh, so I tell him, and he was excited. He said, "Oh man, this is great. Uh, my roommate's going to be the starting quarterback." And you know, oh, he was all excited about that. So. Um, um, this is before you had touchdown dances, right? That's well, probably so. Yeah, okay. I'm sure it was because we never even thought about that. Um, so um, the Monday, so your name starter, the, the and you're now formally it's like it's Sunday afternoon. So you're a week out 
from game day. That's so right. it's Sunday and you're playing Saturday. So you got six days till the big day. That's right. So I start studying and uh, called the coach and said, do you have any information on it? We're playing NC State, by the way. <laughs> and what? A, and it was just so the boys. So the, bro- the brothers were coming in. That's right. Mm-hmm. The, they were coming in and my brother was uh, had just graduated from there. And I called him up and said, hey, I'm going to go kick your butt next week. Guess what? Um, and we were having fun with that. And he was so proud of me uh, for achieving that. And so I started studying. I, and I, I tried to find out as much as I could that Sunday night and about their offense. And then on Mondays, on Monday we practiced about 3 o'clock. And NC State, we were playing at Raleigh, in Raleigh. And they had a grass field. We had a AstroTurf field. I liked AstroTurf better than grass because it was quicker. Okay, and uh, and I liked not having to wear cleats and mm-hmm. wear, wear short cleats back then on AstroTurf. And but so we were practicing on our grass fields, mm-hmm. and we had cleats. Sure, makes sense. And so um, uh, we were, and Coach Dietzel would on Monday the first uh, period and a half, two periods. He would have the first offense scrimmage, the first defense, uh, for about 15, 20 minutes, and uh, it was full, full tackle. contact. Mm-hmm. And it was, you had all your, all your equipment on, and uh, full contact. So I was like, "This is going to be great. I get to play with the big boys." And sure enough, I, I get out there and got to call the first play, and and I had taken some centers from the uh, first string center, and he was much taller than the centers I'm used to ever. He was. Like six four. So your hands were up here. <laughs> That's what it felt like. <laughs> felt like I was I was up here like that, which you know used to down here. But you know that you get quickly used to that after you take you know ten or so snaps, and you do that out, off the field. So I was comfortable with that. And That's a big deal. That center quarterback exchange, you you never take that for granted ever because that can be a big disaster. And so, but I got I got to go into the huddle and call a play, and that was such a, a rush, exhilarating. Thing to do, and then execute the play, and and it worked. And and you know, all the training and all the workouts and everything that I'd done before that was I was thinking to myself, this is the consequence, this is the payoff, and what a great time this was. And we were moving down the field, and uh, I was thinking because I, I had a, a fear that I wasn't going to be able to play on that level, and but it was working, mm-hmm. and, and and we were moving down the field, threw a couple of passes, and they were you know, good, and. Um, so it was just an exhilarating, fun thing to do. And, uh, and then we ran – the play was a outside veer, which just means that you instead of the fullback going to the, uh, to the guard gap, guard tackle gap, he went to the tackle end gap. And uh, you read the defensive end and then went out on to the cornerback and pitched it. If, if that's what the end read. So that was the play. It was called 36. It was, I think it was uh, – yeah. You remember details <laughs> when you <laughs> on, need to. On important yeah. things. It was a, it was a, um, it was a, uh, uh, right, uh, formation 36 veer. And we went, uh, down the line. The end took the, the back. So I pulled it and it left a big five or six yard gap between me and the cornerback. So I headed toward the cornerback to, and the, Trailing back was kind of staying with me, and I was going to pitch off of him. And I felt him uh, kind of easing out to take the running back, so I cut it up, and I was about 15 yards down the field. And I look over, and the strong safety was coming in. And the strong safety was a good friend of mine named Hugh. Um, got his last name again. It's all right, Hugh. Hugh the friend. So Hugh, and he was one of the quarterbacks that came in with right. me. Right. Okay? And um, great guy. And he was coming up on me. And I could, I could. He was kind of shading the outside, and I'm, I'm, I'm in the middle of the field. He was kind of shading this shoulder, so I thought I would plant and let him hit me on this shoulder, and I would spin out of it, and then be able to go downfield. So all his impact would spin me so around. So the, the wild, crazy move at practice because it's not the game. Yeah. Well, no, I, I think this was no. You would have done. I would have done that in the game too. Sure. That was, that was just instinct at that point. It wasn't anything I was thinking about, um, and. Uh, it happened that way. I planted and I was twisting, and he hit me, and all that torque. But but because I had on the long cleats and in the grass, my cleats caught, and all the torque went down to that right leg, and it, it snapped my anterior cruciate ligament. Just and I could hear it sound like a hickory when you uh, snap it in two, 
and the pain was... Boy, that's an awful sound. Oh, it was... And, I mean, as you described it, as it sounded like hickory snapping in two. Yeah. I can't imagine that you could ever forget this. N- never will. I mean, obviously, I even remember the play. I can, I can smell the sweat and the, and the grit and the tears in my eyes and, and hitting the ground and, and just the, everything blacking out because uh, the pain was so vivid and um, just laying there and not even realizing the consequence of what just happened. It, just, it was just such an impact. And then you, you're laying there, and all of a sudden everybody starts coming around you, and it's, uh, you start thinking, wow, this, this is a big deal. Uh, it, it, it's worse than I'm thinking it is. And so uh, lay there, they take me off the field. You can and, hear the rooster downstairs is upset is that what that is? listening to the story. <laughs> so I'm over on the sideline, and the technology then was uh, very basic. They would uh, let you just recuperate for three or four days at that point to see what was going to happen. They thought it might have just been a, a cartilage tear or whatever. So um, they and it never went away. The pain never went away, or the and the swelling kept coming, and had to keep draining the knee and all that kind of stuff. And so they said, "Well, we need to go in and see what it was, uh, what happened there." So uh, they did. Uh, exploratory surgery, and this was before the... It was before arthroscopic, arthroscopic right? Arthroscopic. So they went in with a full chainsaw. Yeah, they did. And ended up uh, taking out the anterior cruciate ligament, which was a serious recuperating time. Nowadays, if you do that, they can repair it, and you, you can be playing in six, eight weeks. And uh, mm-hmm. I, I look at that now, that does make me kind of angry that uh, that, that wasn't available then. <laughs> So, just for perspective's sake, um, you never played another snap of college football. Well, no, I did. You did? Uh, yep. Uh, well, I didn't play on the – I didn't play – I practiced, okay? I never got into a game again. So, what happened was uh, – and when something like this happens to you, you can, you can deny it or you can get angry and you can, uh, you know, just go on. Mm-hmm. And I think I was in denial of what mm-hmm. was going on. And my whole point from the moment, I think really when I woke up on the sideline, kind of I said, well, I'm going to fix this. I, I, fi- I, got my, I got my goal. I was a starting quarterback for 20 minutes, and uh, that's not going to be the end of this. You know, I, I'm not going to allow that. So um, I started recuperating uh, and doing exactly what they told me to do, doing what the trainer told me to eat, what he wanted me to eat. Uh, strengthened and my right leg got very very strong I, uh, it was incredibly strong and uh, uh, that was to protect that knee joint that's what his his kind of treatment was and you know, that was okay but what happened was the next fall because that season was over and I recuperated all, all over the summer and then came back to play and I had to wear this big uh, it was called a Lennox Hill brace mm-hmm. and they the offensive linemen wear those to this day a kind of a smaller version but this was the same um brace that joe namath wore uh, in in the pros and and it slowed me down significantly and that took away a lot of my uh, ability because that was one of the things that made me what i was but i still i wanted to try it and and, and my leg was strong i was in really good shape probably the best shape of my life and we went into fall practice and in the three-a-day process, my leg did get kind of – got very tired. And, and I can remember I was doing a, a sprint out to the right, and, uh, the, and the defensive end had been blocked, and he was laying in front of me, so I jumped over him. And when I landed on my right leg, it just collapsed and tore the whole knee joint completely again. again. And then they had to go in and do complete re- reconstructive surgery, and they took a hamstring tendon and replaced it. And the doctor, uh, after you know, after a while, I had a full cast on for eight weeks, and after about 10, 12 weeks of, of that kind of recovery where you're really not doing anything, he came to me and said, son, your football career's over, and if you, if you play anymore, I'm going to tell the coach not to allow you to play anymore because if you, if you hurt it again, you'll be crippled for life, and uh, I'm not going to have that on. Wow. And so that – so in this moment, yeah. you're saying all that I had dreamed of, all that I had worked for, mm-hmm. was being taken from you. Well, did you realize that might be something good coming from that in this moment? No. Trying to be optimistic? No, not 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 at all. But I wasn't bitter about it. It was just the deal. And and here's, 
I think why I wasn't bitter about it was that between that first injury and the second one, mm-hmm. I had done everything. And I, I consciously thought I'm going to – I don't want to have regrets when I'm 64 years old that I didn't give it my very best shot at recuperating. And so I did everything to make that happen. And, and, I, and the truth is a new coaching staff came in. Paul Dietzel was fired that uh, after my sophomore year, and a guy named Jim Carlin came in. And he didn't know me. He didn't know he hadn't knew what he hadn't watched films or didn't know anything about me or my potential. And but he did see how hard I was trying to recuperate. Mm-hmm. And other guys that got hurt, they maybe didn't try as hard as I did to recuperate. They just kind of enjoyed the free education and the meals. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but he, I think he could see that I was doing everything I possibly could to come back and play. And he treated me well. He um, and that softened the blow a little bit. He allowed me to uh, uh, coach the freshman quarterbacks to some degree. You know, I wasn't a coach, but, you know, I could help them a little bit. So I was at practice, and he, he let me do that. He let me uh, go to all the games. I was on the travel squad. He let me be a part of the, uh, the broadcast group, uh, the voice of the Gamecocks. I was his spotter because so, I knew the team real well. and So I would sit up there at, 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 beside him and, and point out, this is who made the tackle or this is who made the catch. And, and I'd point it to him, and that was a lot of fun. So I got to go and travel with the team and, and be a part of all that. So he, he, he allowed that to uh, – he made the decision to let that happen. Whereas another guy, I remember, um, he uh, tore up his knee, and, but he didn't really try to recuperate like he should have, and they put him in stuffing envelopes on the weekend. Yuck. Yeah, just I mean, insult to injury there. So, you know, I was very fortunate in that regard. So that mitigated some of the pain and bitterness, I think, because I was able to kind of finish out. And, contributing. Yeah, I was contributing. That's a, that's a very good point. And so, <clears throat> and, you know, I look back now and I say I, I don't regret what I did. Some parents. So was, it, was it the discipline you learned in that recovery process that it, means so much? Absolutely. Yeah. And the consequences of doing something excellent mm-hmm. is, is worth the pain kind of thing. That's the life lesson I learned through that. And, uh, you know, I, I look back. You know, what, why did God do that? I, I believe God's in control of everything we do, every, every breath we take. <clears throat> why would God do that to me? And I don't know if I have an answer for that, but um, you think about what could have happened and the, kind of the phantom uh, results. What if I'd have zigged out to the right and he just hit me on the left side and knocked me down on that play? What would have happened then? Well, it sounds like you would have given been given at least one more play. Well, one more play, maybe, yeah. Or maybe I'd have gone on and played NC State. Maybe I would have embarrassed myself completely, or maybe I would have been the hero and we'd have beaten mm-hmm. NC State on the last touchdown pass or mm-hmm. the last touchdown run that I did. And who knows what that phantom uh, reality would have been had that changed. And, you know, I wouldn't know the people I know now. I wouldn't know you. I wouldn't know my That's wife. Right. I wouldn't know uh, Chris Biggers and Marty Cocking and, and the people that I love so dearly and, and, and their influence on my life. And I wouldn't be the person I am today. And I, I think in, you know, when you get serious retrospective about this, football was a God to me. Now, I was a Christian at that point. I, was, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old <clears throat> and uh, went to a Fellowship of Christian Athletes, which had a big part in my life and my my faith journey um, in Black Mountain, and I, I heard a lot of great guys speak. But the, there was one guy named Cleve McClary that was actually a uh, an Army guy or military, maybe Marines, and he had gotten his his. And this was before my injury, but he had gotten his whole body blown up. Okay, he had he had uh, taken a grenade shot and pretty much blew off the right side of his body. And he's up there in his marine uniform, telling how what a good God who, you know, what a good God we have. And I'm like, holy smoke, how can you say that? <clears throat> mm-hmm. And he was talking about his blessings and what the good that came out of that. And so, <clears throat> even though I had made the decision then to follow Christ, football was my God at that point. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, in my little pea brain of a human. I think that God said, you know what? Your prayers are to be a godly man 
to be one of my followers and to do what it takes. You're never going to do this with this God of football, and uh, you, I'm going to take it away from you. And it turns out that's probably the best thing for me. I would have never gone to the, even if I would have been the hero and started, and then it would have come down. You know, you see all the time in college football where the where the the second of the backup comes in and wins the like it would like it's happening with the Carolina Panthers right now. Uh, that that quarterback that, and he's playing great. I, I'm so enjoying watching him play. Um, but there's Cam Newton in the background. What's going to happen when he gets healthy and come back? Well, that would have let's say stay that, tuned. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so <clears throat> um, this is being recorded in October of 2019. <laughs> That's right. So um, what would have happened had I been successful? And then Jeff comes back and he taken. Well, I might have been more bitter then than I was it with the injury, or mm-hmm. or if um, uh, you know, who knows oh, what happened. So he uses all things for good. Absolutely. There's no doubt in my mind. I think he put it on me to to not have the regret of not working as hard as I could to recover. I think that was a real blessing, and and uh, he put that in me. And then I, in my later life, I, a few years ago, I got to coach as a volunteer quarterback coach on a high school team, and kind of fulfill that part of uh, my goals. And it was such a thrill. And uh, just the joy of doing that, I had all that and got to fulfill a lot of that. So God is, is good, just like that fellow Cleve McClary said. And even in something as tragic as this or a divorce or some kind of addiction that you get over, there is God will use that for good. Uh, and you know, we're going to mess up in life and, and things are going to happen to us. God never said, or the Bible never says that God is, that he, he is he is he's not just he is just didn't say he was fair that's the word I'm looking for God's not a fair God he he didn't set my life up to be easy or your life or anybody's mm-hmm. life to be easy he's not a fair God but he's a just God and what he does makes it better for it, for you and the most people and I think that's what happened through this even this little injury that I had well we're going to keep this conversation going again. Okay. And um, next time we gather, there might be a few of us in this room all at the same time. Okay, awesome. Scott, thanks for being on Threshold Stories. I enjoyed it. What a great, great minister you have here. Been incredible having you on this podcast today. Because of your passion and lessons in overcoming adversity, we're all better off from the time we've spent with you. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me directly. You can find me on LinkedIn or on my Facebook page at Jeff Gora Team USA. Thanks for listening to this chapter of Threshold Stories, Crossing Thresholds, One Story at a Time. Ready to cross more thresholds with me in two weeks.